if we were to follow you around with a camera and we were to document your every action, what would your actions say your values are? Would your actions say that you believe that engaging with customers is more important than checking email? No way. Your actions would vote that you believe that checking email is equal, if not more important than engaging with your customers. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and today's guest is fantastic. Jeff Woods is the vice president of The One Thing. After hearing the Jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, Jeff set out on a mission to surround himself with high-level CEOs and successful entrepreneurs. Fast forward just 10 months, Jeff went from employee to entrepreneur, launching a company with the co-authors of the best-selling book, The One Thing. Jeff has been featured in Entrepreneur.com and is on a mission to teach people how to live a life of focus so they can have more by doing less. Jeff, welcome to the show. My pleasure, Dr. Richard. So your story is an interesting one because you were so moved back in 2014 by that Jim Rohn quote we hear so many times in so many places that we are an average of the five people we spend the most time with. So talk us through where you were up until when you heard that quote and then some of the things that you started doing to transform your life after that. Yep. I was in medical device sales at the time, which was a really wonderful career. It afforded my family an amazing lifestyle. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I particularly loved wearing scrubs and working in the hospital setting. Yet, I I think a lot of people can relate to the situation I was in where even though things were good professionally, something was missing. When I woke up and went to work, I didn't truly feel a sense of fulfillment. And I knew I wanted to own a business, knew it would happen one day. I was absolutely certain of it, yet didn't know how. And frankly, I didn't have a compelling reason to jeopardize my, quote, amazing, cushy job to build a business until two things happened. First, a colleague of mine had a stroke, and he was 35 at the time, which my wife and I had just had our first child. We just bought a house in Orange County. She's a stay-at-home mom. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if that was me instead of my colleague, what would have happened to my family? That was very unsettling. And then the next week, my company needed to make a change to our commission structure in order to remain competitive in the marketplace. And overnight, I took a 40% pay cut. And month after month passes while we're hemorrhaging cash and it gets to the point where bank accounts almost at zero that I, I look up and I had heard... That's when I really read the Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I remember standing in my kitchen, looking back and thinking to myself, all right, if I want to 
on a massive business, making a massive impact and delivering real security, how many of the people that I'm in relationship with and invest time in own massive businesses, making a massive impact and delivering real security? The answer was zero. And that began my journey. I love a lot of what you shared there. You know, there's a quote by Tony Robbins, which I really enjoy that says the, you know, we, I'm paraphrasing, but our movements come from either inspiration or desperation. And it Mm. it sounds like a little bit uh, on, and your instance, in your instance, it was the latter and 40% 40% pay cuts pretty significant. So when when you finally made a decision to do this and then I and I also love that you said find those that make a massive impact. How did you go about doing that? That's a big can of of worms to unpack. The the <laughs> the big part was I for me personally, this is what worked for me. I decided to make a commitment to investing in my education, specifically putting money away every month, even though things were so tight, to attending conferences. Because the people who were on stage at the conferences were the industry leaders for any any industry. And by getting in the room with the right people... And I wasn't just the guy that sat in the back row. I was the guy that tackled the speaker when they came off stage. Um, And ultimately, I ended up getting into a mastermind. And, and this was, was really outside of my comfort zone because um, it was a sizable financial investment. And even when money was just so incredibly tight, a mentor basically told me, the money's not the issue. You're just not committed enough to find a way to get the money so that you can afford the mastermind, <laughs> which was a huge lesson. I ended up just meeting some of the most influential people that started my journey. But I just, in spite of tight finances, which I know a lot of people will tell themselves the story. I just don't have the money. I just can't find a way to make it happen. I would really challenge them and say, no, you're just not committed. Because if if your life depended on it, and you had to go find 10 grand and you had to do it in 30 days, you'd find a way to get it done. You're just not that committed to your success. And you were that committed to your success. You took that chance. You started meeting these people, these influencers, the presenters, you'd grab them as they're coming off stage. Jeff, what happened next? Before you know it, ended up having relationships with some really influential people. And I remember sitting outside, it was the night before a conference and I was sitting outside with some of the attendees and I was sharing with them who some of my mentors were. And they've built very large companies that you would know, you would never know their name, but you'd know the companies they've built. And they were going, my gosh, dude, you should start a podcast to record those conversations. I remember sitting back in my chair thinking, that's a really good idea. And the next day I walked into the room, just I had made a decision. I was committed to starting a podcast. And I, from then on, started the mentee where I was going to be the mentee. I was going to record the conversations with my mentors. It became one of the top 20 business podcasts pretty quick and turned that into a six-figure business in less than a year. And as a result of learning the skill set of how to turn content into dollars, Jay Papazan, who co-authored The One Thing with Gary Keller, who started Keller Williams Realty, the largest real estate company in the world, Jay was our keynote speaker at our national sales meeting. And when I cornered him when he came off stage, I asked to interview him for the show and we got into a relationship and one thing led to the next. And it turns out I was the exact guy they were looking for to turn their book into a, a training empire. So talk to us about the one thing and what you're doing with it. And for those that haven't read the book, what they could get from it. Sure. The one thing is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. Gary back in 1983, started Keller Williams. And at the time, it was this little real estate company in Austin. And you fast forward to today, there's now over 170,000 people across the world inside of KW. 
How do you go from tiny little startup to literally the titan of your industry? That's what he documented in the book. And it's, it's really how do you use and invest your time? So somebody's listening to this, they have aspirations of leaving their job, creating something that generates a second stream of income for their family. How do you do that? How do you leverage the one thing that this book talks about into making that happen? Here's something you have to acknowledge. Um, every day you wake up with a lot of things that you feel like you need to do, right? There's so all these things that you could do. And there's only really a handful of things that you should do that will generate the vast majority of your results. 80-20 rule, right? The idea that 20% of your results or 20% of your activities will generate 80% of your results. When we work with people, we often find that people waste a tremendous amount of time every single day. And they wonder why they don't have time to be present with their family or to get to the gym or to take up that hobby or to start that side business. And the truth is you do have the time. You're just not investing it correctly. What's the difference between how you invest your time in Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg? We all got the same number of hours. That's the common denominator. How you invest it is the difference. So I would, I would ask you, the listener, if you're trying to figure out how to start a business, I would ask you the focusing question. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary when it comes to starting your business? Not the laundry list of things, but if you literally could only do one thing, not to say that you only get to do one thing, but I'm asking you to apply the constraints here. If you could only do one thing, you get to do one thing every single day, then I take your computer away from you. I take your phone away from you. I strip you of internet connection. You only get to do that one thing every single day. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make scaling a business on the side easier or unnecessary? It's an interesting perspective because I imagine there's a lot of people listening to this right now who would say in response to you, but Jeff, I'm very adept at multitasking. What would you say to that person? Multitasking is a lie. It's one of the, it's the second biggest lie of productivity. Research has shown, well, I'll ask it as a question for you, the listener. If I told you that there was a way that instantly by the end of this episode, I could guarantee that you could take back control of 28% of your time that you're currently wasting, would you be interested? Everybody's going, yes, Jeff, right? Absolutely. And, and I said, but here's the condition. If I tell you, you have to do it. You don't argue. You don't fight the, all the limiting beliefs. You don't do it. You just you, you take action. Would you follow the guidance? Most people, okay, right. Yeah, uh, they're all nodding yes. <laughs> here's what the research actually shows. Have you ever had one of those times, Richard, where you were reading an email and all of a sudden there was an interruption? Maybe your phone rang. And sure. All of a sudden, you looked at the phone. You went, oh, who is it? You answered the phone. You said, you know what? Hey, uh, I'm in the middle of something. Can I call you back? They said, sure, no problem. When you went back to your email, did you go exactly to the exact word in the middle of the email where you were? No, you've got to, you've got to recollect and figure out where you were and then resume that train of thought and take action. So you likely went back to the top of the email and read it over again, right? Right. Here's what they found. This is called a switch cost. 
when you're doing your primary work, let's say in this case, it's you're checking email and all of a sudden there's something else that happens. Phone rings, somebody walks in, asks if you got a minute. Your brain on a subconscious level, first and foremost, has to switch. It then has to reorient itself to the rules of the game. Oh, I'm answering the phone. I should use this type of a tone. It's this person. What did we talk about last time? Can I talk to them right now? Not really, but I'm going to tell them that. Then you handle the distraction where you got on the phone. You talked to them and told them that you can't talk right now. You hung up the phone on a subconscious level. You had to switch. You had to reorient. What was I doing? Oh yeah, checking email. And then you had to actually reread the email because you had to get back to where you were before you could get back to your primary work. The research shows that multitasking actually leads to us wasting 28% of our day. It is absolutely proven. And I know lots of people who say, but I was taught to be a great multitasker since I was a kid. I know that's what you were taught, but that's not what the evidence shows. And multitasking came from originally came from computers. People misunderstood that it was... They thought it was computers being able to do two things simultaneously. It wasn't. They did things sequentially, just very fast. So that's the thing. Success is sequential, not simultaneous. It's not do two things at once. It's do one thing at a time. When you think about doing your most important work, you know if I told you the people who want to start a business, the truth is you waste hours every single day. Because you're doing a task, then you check email, then you go talk to somebody, then you take a phone call, then you go back to email, then you go back to your work, and you never actually get into a flow state. Versus if you had time blocked for you to do your most important work. I'm talking the most important work. And you don't take phone calls during that time. Your email is shut down during that time. There's no social media during that time. And you just did your most important work. Then you earned the right to check email for a batch of time. And you didn't open an email and say, I'm not going to deal with this now and mark it as unread. You handled the email because that was your time to handle the email. You moved from one thing to the next. You would get infinitely more done in significantly less time. And you would find yourself with ample time to grow your business on the side. I love everything that you shared, Jeff. And and. I hadn't seen that particular research, but I have seen research that suggests in terms of the energy, our batteries, if you will, our brains have a fixed amount of cognitive capacity to handle any things during the day. And as we use it, we lose it and then it gets recharged during sleep. So in essence, this very much supports that and saying, if we have X amount of juice in our brains ready to do what we need to do, by wasting 28% of it, no wonder so many people are finding themselves inefficient, don't feel that they have the time to do other these, do these things. That's fantastic. Well, where, that, where we see that is it's the fourth lie of productivity, which is people believe that willpower is always on will call. They think if there's a will, there's a way. And the truth of what you're talking about, Dr. Richard, is, is that idea that your willpower is a finite resource. What's interesting is that your brain uses up a fifth of your body's energy, but it represents one fiftieth of your total body's mass. So every decision you make, every thought that you have drains that gas tank just a little bit. And for us, that that leads us to timing. When do you do your most important work? And what we would suggest to you is you do it in the morning when you've got the willpower. Because if you wait till the afternoon to get it done, it's just not there for you. Interesting. And I wanted to revisit something. You said that multitasking is the second biggest lie in business. What's the first? The first is the lie that everything matters equally. If I asked you, the listener, 
let's say you want to grow a business on the side. You know, I will, I will suggest to you that one of the most important things you can do when scaling a business is actually engaging with your customers so that you understand what their biggest pains are. That'll inform your marketing copy. It'll inform your product development. It'll allow you to pre-sell products and lead with revenue. So many amazing things happen when you engage with your customers. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that checking email matters equally to engaging with your customers? Most would say no. Most would say no. Great. I support that. Now here's the question. If we were to follow you around with a camera and we were to document your every action, what would your actions say your values are? Would your actions say that you believe that engaging with customers is more important than checking email? No way. Your actions would vote that you believe that checking email is equal, if not more important, than engaging with your customers. If doing the most important thing is the most important thing, why would you do anything else? The idea of the one thing is that everything does not matter equally. And it's not that you just do one thing. It's about having clarity on what your priorities really are. So you can say, this is my most important work. And until my number one priority is done, everything else is frankly a distraction. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. What I love about this is that it's so simple and yet there are layers to it. As I said to you off here, I've read this book. I love this book, as do so many people. What I would love for you to talk about is for the person who's starting out in essentially unlearning what they've learned in terms of multitasking and doing this, what are some of the best ways that they can track their progress and success in shifting their mindset in this regard? Yeah, we've got something called a 66-day challenge calendar, which if you go to the onething.com, that's with the number one in the URL, and you click free stuff, you'll find it there. Uh, It comes from the idea, FM Alexander says, that people don't decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their futures. It's not about being a disciplined person. It's not about relying on your willpower. It's about applying your discipline and your willpower to form a habit. If you can form the right power habits today, it will ensure that you automatically do the right activities for a lifetime. Most people have unconsciously formed negative habits, habits that undermine them getting what they want out of life. That comes in the form of diet. It comes in the form of sleep, uh, physical fitness, mindset. If you want to transform your life, just recognize you don't decide your future. You decide your habits and your habits decide your futures. How long does it take to form a habit? And they found that it takes on average 66 days, not 20, not 21 or 29 or 30. 66 days is the average. 
So we created a calendar where you can identify the activity, the one thing you want to do every day, and then track it every day. And by the end of that time, you've pretty much nailed yourself your first power habit, which is really cool. I love that. And I think it's really important what you shared in that this 66-day period upon which you create a new habit, we also have to undo these old habits. And you said that many people develop them unconsciously, which is very true. And I want to bring it back to the Jim Rohn quote, because a lot of times our habits are developed by the people that we surround ourselves with, our environment and the way that it influences us. So one of the things that I hear a lot are, you know, I want to take these steps. I have people in my environment, including immediate family, perhaps, that may be challenging and may be mm-hmm. limiting them from achieving the goals and the dreams that they really want. What do you say to those people? How do they balance those two things? Yeah, so this is something interesting that I had to struggle with along my journey. And I'll, I'll put you in a hypothetical situation. I want you to imagine that I'm your fairy godmother and I wave the magic wand and all of a sudden, everything you could possibly ever want out of life is granted to you. All the wealth, all the material possessions, all the experience, the legacy, the impact, the spiritual connections, the relationships, literally every day, you wake up out of bed and you are on fire. Life is amazing. I want you to really go there and imagine what life would feel like to have all those things. Then I want you to imagine that one day you wake up and All of those things are taken away from you by a specific person. How do you feel about that person? Most people would have, let's call them attacking thoughts. What most of us don't realize is you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And when you allow people in your world that are toxic, You are allowing them to literally steal from your future every single day because who you surround yourself with is who you become. They influence your mindset. They influence your beliefs, your motivation level, your perception of what you can or cannot achieve. All of it is influenced by the people you surround yourself with. So you have to understand, Like I hear people all the time say, oh, but th- this person's a family member and they're toxic. I can't cut them out. I'm sorry. That's not the truth. It's that you haven't yet discovered a way to either A, establish boundaries so that you can cr- they can correct their behavior or they don't earn the right to be inside your world. This is your life and you are either going to take control of it or you just are going to give control up. Most people are giving control up and they're not even realizing it. So... In terms of relationships, what are some of the things that people could utilize within the one thing, techniques or strategies to improve their interpersonal relationships with their significant others? Yeah, um, it's this idea of work-life counterbalance. You know, people have heard of work-life balance. Balance doesn't actually exist. There's no such thing. It's about counterbalancing, right? When you're at work, are you all in at work? Are you focused, showing up as your highest version of yourself in your job so that a pre-prescribed time, you can shut it down and you actually can go and be present with your family, not being in the room, checking your email. I'm talking phone away, actually engaging with the people that matter most to you. Part of it is, depending on where you struggle, 
is realizing that you really can have it all. And it, that comes by applying constraints in terms of what you do. So what time would you shut it down proactively? You know, for me, it's five o'clock. I just don't work past five o'clock. We're a startup. I don't work past five because that's my time for me to go home and to actually be with my children and to be with my wife. I think another part of it is understanding the transition from work to play. I found myself getting in the car at five o'clock and then still having business calls or listening to business podcasts. And I would even be listening to an audiobook or a podcast as I'd be walking in the door, as my children would be running up to me screaming, Daddy, for me to finally pull the headphones out of my ear to hug my kids. I discovered I never actually gave myself time to process leaving work at work and mentally preparing myself for what it needed to look like for me to walk into the house and actually be present. I love that. And then specifically, you you touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to dive a little bit more for the parents listening to this, applying the principles of the one thing to raising children. Yeah, this has been a recent discovery for us. We've had a lot of people who have been listening to the One Thing podcast and they reached out sharing stories of not just how it helped them grow their business, they reached out sharing how all of a sudden they saw their kids living it. We had um, an interview with a woman who started living her one thing and her 10-year-old boy started following our goal-setting process. And he set a goal to get on Broadway within 12 months. And he had a full business plan for it. And he was identifying the habit, the power habit that he was going to form to get on Broadway. I mean, it's truly remarkable. And, And that's why we do what we do. Like It's very purpose-driven. And I would suggest to you that part of encouraging your children to be more productive, ensuring, encouraging your children to adopt the idea of the one thing comes down to asking them to set goals. And then based on their goals, asking them to whittle it all the way down to the one thing they can do, such that by doing it makes everything else easier or unnecessary. It is a specific activity that they can do day after day after day that over time, roughly 66 days, would become a habit. Just like how you teach your kids to brush their teeth or go to the bathroom, how do you teach your kids to show gratitude? How do you teach your kids when things don't go right to first and foremost look in the mirror and accept personal accountability? These are things I'm working on with my kids right now. And it's it's really interesting that they can learn it and they're young. Jeff, that's fantastic. And I've got young kids too. So I'm looking forward to applying some of these goals to to my kiddos as well. And we've talked a lot about how the one thing can help propel people. Let's talk about the ways in which the one thing can help prevent failure. I remember sitting in one of Gary Keller's masterminds and he looked out at the room and he said, the number one reason that people fail to live the one thing is they're unwilling to endure the monotony of success. I remember seeing the heads in the room kind of turn and he kept talking. He said, you know, success really is not doing a bunch of different things. It's not chasing the latest shiny object or the low hanging fruit or trying the new productivity hack. It's about being really clear on the handful of true priorities that if you just did those day after day, after day, after day, after day, over time would lead to extraordinary results. The challenge is those activities, they get boring. I mean, even even when people come into our training programs or follow the guidance that, that we suggest to them, it's not sexy to do what we tell you to do every day. 
you're, you'll be excited for about a week, maybe two max. And then the novelty wears off and it gets boring. And then a few weeks later, it starts to feel like the world is attacking you. Think about it. When you say yes to doing your one thing and say no to everything else, it's not like people stop sending you emails. It's not like the voicemails don't pile up. This chaos ensues and all you want to do, you feel like you're in the submarine and the world is just coming in on you and all you want to do is lift your head above water and go, <gasps> by handling all those urgent 80% tasks. Yet success is enduring that monotony. That's so great. And it's funny, as you were saying that, I I thought of a story about the former baseball pitcher, Randy Johnson. And I remember reading a story that he would get bored because nobody could hit his fastball. He would throw this 100-plus mile-an-hour fastball, and then he would start just tinkering around with other pitches because he was bored. Nobody could hit him. The the monotony of success. Beautiful. Jeff, we're we're getting close to the end here. And as you know, I like to wrap up by asking my guests this single question. That is, what is the biggest helping, the most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our episode today? It's the idea of thinking big and going small. You know, if if this has inspired you, then awesome. Think big in terms of your vision. Think big in terms of your goals. Think big about your standards for yourself. And then go really small. The mistake people make is they think big and then they try to act big. They set big goals and then they try to do a million different things. They act too big. Instead of casting a big vision, casting big goals, and then going really small by identifying the one thing that they can do such that by doing it will make achieving that big goal easier or unnecessary. And it's not that they only do that one thing, it's that they do it first. Because if doing the most important thing is the most important thing, why would you do anything else? Well said. Jeff, where can people find you? You can learn more about us. The book is called The One Thing, and you can find that anywhere books are sold. Uh, the podcast is called The One Thing Podcast, and our website is theonething.com. The only change with the website is it's with the number one instead of being spelled out. Absolutely. And for those of you behind the wheel or in the gym, we will have links to everything The One Thing and Jeff Woods in the Daily Helping app, as well as in the show notes for this as well. Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. And if the, for those people who are driving, um, if you text the word accountability to the number 33444, we'll, we'll, we'll send you a really cool resource so that you can hold yourself more accountable when it comes to living this. Perfect. We'll include that in the show notes as well. That's awesome. Well, again, Jeff, thanks for being here. I loved the conversation. And for each and every one of you who chose to tune into this episode, thank you very much. I know there's a lot of shows out there, and I'm grateful that you chose to listen to this one. If you like what you heard today, please go subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDaily helping because the happiest people are those that help others. 